If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. Thanks so much for being with us this weekend. We're especially glad you're joining us. If uh, this is your first church experience in a long time, if you're only here or watching online because someone begged you or bribed you to come or told you to give you brunch if you watched, and if you're new or relatively new, we have a gift. So thank you for being with us today. All you need to do is text the word WELCOME to 88877, and we'll send you that gift. Well, we are in the third week of a series looking at the life of the prophet Elijah. And so in the first week of the series, we talked about this quote from James where he said, Elijah was a man just like us, a human being just like us, which we said was an incredible statement because of all the amazing things Elijah had done and because of the amazing legacy Elijah has left. He lived over 2,800 years ago, and yet we're talking about him today. But he was a human being just like us. And the reason we are still talking about him today is because he lived a life of prayerful obedience. He listened to what God was telling him to do, and then he did it. He put into practice what he discovered in prayer. And we can be like Elijah. We can learn to live a life of prayerful obedience, to put into practice what we discover in our conversations with God. So that's how we're hoping to grow through the course of this series. Uh, Also in that first week, we talked about how out of his prayerful obedience, Elijah went to King Ahab, the evil King Ahab, and said, "Uh, you are doing wrong. You're leading the people astray because you're leading them to worship the God of the Baals. And so now there's going to be no rain until I say so. And after that, he runs away. God tells him to go and to hide. Then last week we talked about how uh, God provides for Elijah in these kind of supernatural ways. And so uh, he goes to the Wadi Cherith. There he drinks the water. He's fed by ravens. Uh, And then... That dries up, the wadi dries up, and then God says, I want you to go to Zarephath. He goes there, and he meets this widow. And again, this this supernatural means, unbelievable means, God provides not only for Elijah, but for the widow and her son as well. And so we're going to pick up the story of Elijah from there. And and this is a fantastic story. It's an epic story we're going to look at. So for those of you maybe who struggle to believe some of these fantastic events, I just ask you to kind of suspend your disbelief as you would for like a movie or something like that. As we hear this epic, incredible story that takes place in 1 Kings 18. And here is what happens. Long afterward, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go present yourself to Ahab, that I may send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. So after a long time, about three and a half years of drought, and you can imagine what that would have done to the land and to the crops and to to animals. I mean, just devastation throughout the land. God says to Elijah, okay, it's enough. I'm now going to send rain. But before I do that, you need to go to Ahab and, and talk to him. And as we've seen throughout Elijah's life, God says to do something, and Elijah does it. So we're told, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is it you, you disturber of Israel? He answered, It's not I who disturb Israel, but you and your father's house by forsaking the commands of the Lord and you by following the Baals. 
So Ahab, he sees Elijah and he says to him, this is all your fault. All the devastation in this land, it's all your fault, Elijah. Elijah says, no, it's not my fault, Ahab. It's your fault. It's you and all the kings who've gone before you. You have, you've disobeyed God's commands. And now, Ahab, you've been the worst. You're, you and your wife Jezebel, you're leading the people astray to worship the god Baal and all the gods associated with him. It's a reminder to us that, again, God does allow uh, our sin to have necessary consequences. Sin has necessary consequences. There's discipline in that. That was sort of actually in the, the reading from Hebrews we read earlier. God disciplines those whom he loves, and that means he lets us experience the consequences of our actions. That's what Ahab, God is doing here with Ahab. He's letting him experience the consequences of his actions. But Ahab is not taking any responsibility. Reminds me of a quote from Proverbs. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Often when people are confronted with their own failures and mistakes, rather than take ownership, they blame God or blame others. That's what Ahab is doing here. But Elijah will have none of it. He says, look, this is your fault, but we can, we can bring the rain. Here's what you got to do, Ahab. So Elijah says to him, now summon all, of Israel, to, all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, as well as the 450 prophets of Asherah, who was another god, a female god associated with Baal, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and made the prophets gather on Mount Carmel. So Elijah says to Ahab, you want to see the rain? Okay, gather all the people of Israel. It's probably hyperbole, but tell the people of Israel to come to Mount Carmel, get the 450 prophets of Asherah, so these, these prophets associated with Baal, and gather them together. And because Ahab is desperate for rain, he does what Elijah says. Now, we read this in a couple verses, but we can imagine this had to take some time, right? I mean, he had to get the word out to Israel to gather on Mount Carmel. He had to get these 450 prophets of Baal together. So it takes a little bit of time. They go to Mount Carmel. There's Ahab with his whole entourage and all these prophets of Baal. And there's just Elijah, just he and his servant. And they go to Mount Carmel. Now, here's a contemporary picture of Mount Carmel. Obviously, that's not what it looked like 2,800 years ago. But you can see that Mount Carmel is by the water. And this is the Mediterranean Sea. So very close to it. All right, so all the people gather on Mount Carmel. And then Elijah asked them a question. He says this. How long will you straddle the issue? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal follow him. But the people did not answer him. All right. So God says to the people of Israel, you got to choose. Are you going to choose God or are you going to choose Baal? Which one is it? You can't worship both. Which one are you going to choose? You remember, you know, as a kid, maybe, you know, I know my mom would say this at times. I'd be going in and outside the house. She's like, in or out? Which one is it? Are you inside the house or are you outside? Elijah's like, are you worshiping God or are you worshiping Baal? But stop straddling the issue. And, and we can do that at times too, can't we? Where we, we straddle the issue between really trusting in God or not. Hey I, hey, I trust in God. I really trust in him, but I trust in my money and so much so that I can't give in any meaningful way as an act of worship or to, to serve the poor. 
No, I, I trust in God. I'm a beloved son. A be, you know, you might think a beloved daughter. I'm, I'm a beloved child of God. And I'm constantly, though, looking to the world for validation or to social media likes or other people's opinion to validate who I am. I, hey, I, I, I believe that God wants to bring joy and happiness to my heart in a way nothing else can. But I'm always looking for the next pleasure, the next vacation, the next thing to kind of distract me. Right? We, we can straddle the issue at times between really trusting God who is you know, the source of our life and these other things. And power, pleasure, possessions, you know, um, popularity, they're not all bad things. It's just, do we trust them or do we trust God? And so Elijah says here, look, you guys can't straddle the issue, but how long will you straddle the issue? But the people do not answer him. In other words, they don't want to make a decision. They don't want to commit, right? They, so Elijah says, all right. So Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, and there are 450 prophets of Baal. Give us two young bulls. Let them choose one. Cut it into pieces and place it in the wood, but shall start no fire. All right, so here's a little contest. We're going to cut up a bull. We're going to put it on an altar of sacrifice, but we're not going to offer the sacrifice in fire, which is what you would have done. Instead, he says, you shall call upon the name of your gods, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. The God who answers with fire is God. And all the people agreed. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll give in to your contest, Elijah. And this should be a layup for Baal, because Baal is a god of fire, and uh, Baal is a god of fire, and he's in control of the weather. So, hey, this should be easy for, the, the, for Baal to win. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one young bull and prepare it and call upon Baal, for there are more of you. Call upon your gods, but do not start the fire. So Elijah gives him another advantage. He says, you guys get to go first. All right, so this takes place early in the morning, maybe 8, 9 a.m. or not, you know, so sometime in the morning. And so the prophets of Baal, they start calling on their gods. They start calling on Baal and they start, you know, praying and saying all these words and dancing around, but there's, there's no response from Baal. So then I love this. Elijah starts mocking them. He says, call louder, for he is a God and may be doing his business, or he may be going on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. <laughs> right, hopefully, you know, call louder. He might be, he's a God and may be doing his business. Like, that's funny. He may be relieving himself. He may be seeing a man about a horse. He may be sitting on a throne or whatever euphemism you use for going to the bathroom, which I guess is a euphemism itself. But he starts mocking them. Maybe your God's in the bathroom. Or maybe, again, he's on a journey. He's asleep and must be awakened. So guys, you know, he might be distracted. So maybe you're just not loud enough. Call louder. And so that's what they do. They called out louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears according to their ritual until blood gushed over them. I mean, I told you, it's, it was in the first week, it was a bloody, violent religion. 
And they thought, again, this isn't something they just did this time. They thought if they cut themselves and self-mutilated themselves, that would get the attention of their God. Noon passed, and they remained in a prophetic state until the time for offering sacrifice. So this begins in the morning, goes past noon, goes to the time for offering sacrifice, which would be the late afternoon and early evening. They are calling upon the god Baal, slashing themselves, dancing around. But there was no sound, no one answering, and no one listening. There was no sound, no one answering, and no one listening. When I was in college, I struggled with my faith, like a lot of people do. And so I was struggling with my faith. I remember in sophomore year especially, this struggle. And I just thought it was unfair of God, that it was petty of God that God would say, I either worship him or hell. And those are kind of like the two choices. And it just seemed petty of a God to say, okay, there's either him or, or, or nothingness. And I, I just, I, I really struggle with that. Like, God, how can you be so petty? How come there's not another way? And I wrestled that question for a while. And if you're wrestling with that question, let me just say, you know, feel free to wrestle with it. It's a good question to wrestle with. God can handle your wrestling with him over any question of faith. But after I wrestled with it for a while, I'm going to give you the conclusion I came to, and maybe this will help you, maybe not. But at some point, I then decided there is nothing else. In Exodus, God says, I am who I am. So in other words, God is a source, and all goodness, all truth, all beauty, all life come from him, and outside of him, there is nothing else. And remember that, you know, for those of you who might remember late 90s, Lifehouse song, um, Hanging by a Moment, there is nothing else. Outside, God, all goodness, truth, beauty, life, it comes from God, and outside him there's none of that. So, there was no sound, no one answering, and no one listening. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here, come here to me. And when they drew near to him, he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been destroyed. It had been destroyed by Jezebel. She had destroyed this, this altar to the Lord. And then he took 12 stones for the number of the tribes of Israel, of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the Lord had said, Israel shall be your name. So the 12 stones represent the unity of Israel that had been destroyed in this divided kingdom. This, but God's intention was for the tribes of Israel to come together, for his people to come together and worship him. And so the, the, this would be a light to other nations to know who God is, the truth of God. And so this is Elijah saying, this is God's will and desire for his people to be united in worship of him. He said, fill, your, fill four jars with water and pour it over the burnt offering and over the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed all around the altar. Even the trench was filled with water. So why is Elijah doing this? I think there's a few reasons. I, I think one 
again, this is late in the day, so these people might be a little bit bored. He's given them something to do. He's given them a way to participate in this, uh, in this uh, experience. Second, I think he's trying to show there's no parlor tricks here that when fire does come, if fire does come, it's not because, again, some chicanery that it really became, the, the sacrifice was lit on fire. And third, I think he's just having fun. I mean, I think he's just so confident in God that God's going to respond. He's like, all right, let's make, let's make this even bigger. Let's create even more tension around whether God will answer this prayer and send fire. So at the time for offering sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came forward and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. So while the prophets of Baal, they danced around and they screamed and yelled and slashed themselves, Elijah gives a very simple prayer. He says, God, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Reveal yourself today and reveal that I am your servant who is doing all this because you have sent me, because I am doing what you have asked me to do. And then he says, answer me, Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. So a very simple but passionate prayer that God would send the fire and that people's hearts would turn back to God. And then the Lord's fire came down and devoured the burnt offering, wood and stones and dust, and lapped up the water in the trench. Seeing this, all the people fell straight and said, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. So the people see that God is God because God sends the fire. And if this was a movie, wouldn't this make an awesome movie scene? I mean, if this was in a movie and you were at a theater, you know, some of those movies where, you know, people are very expressive, they talk back to the screen, they're, they react vocally or in some other way, express their thoughts in some way. When watching the movie, people would start clapping like, yay, God came through, God came through. There's still one problem. What's the problem? Maybe the people at home know. It hadn't rained yet. God said he was going to send the rain, but there's still no rain. We got the fire. Where's the rain? So Elijah gets down on his knees, and he begins praying. And he asks God, okay, God, send the rain. Send the rain. He said to his servant, go up and look at the sea. So there's Elijah. He's on his knees. He's like, go look. Is it raining yet? Goes and looks. No, it's not raining yet. All right, go, go a second time. No, it's not raining. A third time. No, fourth time. Fifth, six times. Still ro- ro- no rain. There is nothing. But on the seventh time, he said, all right, go and look again. And the seventh time, the youth reported, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. There's a a cloud the size of a man's hand, a little itty-bitty cloud. And that's all Elijah needs. He said, go and say to Ahab, harness up and go down the mountain before the rain stops you. He says, all right, the rain is coming. 
tell Ahab he better get down that mountain with his horses and his chariots before they get stuck in the mud. And all at once, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind, and a heavy rain fell. A heavy rain fell to an earth, to a people that were desperate for God's rain, that were desperate for God to send his rain upon them. Such a fun, awesome story and passage from Scripture. And so my encouragement to you is to go and read it again on your own this week. It's from 1 Kings 18, if, you're not, if you forgot where that's from. 1 Kings 18. Because here's the thing about this passage of Scripture and so many passages of Scripture. You could read it 50 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, and get something new out of it every single time. But there's three takeaways I want to leave you with today briefly. Number one is, again, we've been learning from the prayerful obedience of Elijah. And what we learn from Elijah in this passage is his absolute confidence in God. That eight times he speaks in this chapter, and every single time it's with this incredible confidence and authority. And I I don't know about you, but I want that for my life. And it's a reminder that when we listen to God, and put into practice what we discover in our prayer, in our conversations with God, we can live with incredible confidence. Even when the world around us is in chaos, right? We sing in this song um, at communion, I still have joy in chaos, because why? Because I'm confident that I have a firm foundation in Jesus. As I listen to him, it doesn't matter what else is going on, I have a firm foundation in Jesus. So prayerful obedience gives us that confidence. Second, it's a reminder to us to persevere in prayer. I love the contrast that takes place. Look, between the praying for fire and the praying for rain. Elijah prays once for the fire. Immediately it comes. He has to pray seven times for the rain. Why is that? I don't know. But I do know scripture tells us over and over again, persevere in prayer, persevere in prayer. So last week we were talking about what's, what do you need God to provide for you? Maybe you've prayed last week for God to provide that one thing, whether direction or resources or a, a job or, or whatever it was, a relationship, and God already provided it. If so, praise God, thank him for it. But maybe he didn't. Maybe it hasn't come through. And this story reminds us, keep on praying. Keep on praying as Elijah did. Persevere, don't give up. And finally, the story is a reminder to us, this passage, this event, is a reminder to us that our prayerful obedience is not just about us. It's just not about you and God. It's about others as well. Out of his prayerful obedience, Elijah turns a whole nation back to God. So you don't know. You don't know whose life you're impacting. Your prayerful obedience, it might be impacting your kids, it might be impacting your grandkids, your, your coworkers, your friends, that whole generation, a whole school, you don't know, but God wants to use your prayerful obedience to bring others, to draw others into a relationship with him. So keep on praying. Keep on listening to God, because you don't know what God wants to do through your prayerful obedience. Let me pray for us 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing passage of scripture, this amazing story from the life of Elijah. And God, we do pray that as we continue to think about Elijah's life, that we learn what it means to, to prayerfully obey you and to have that confidence that will come out of that, Lord. We want that confidence, God, and help us to persevere in prayer, even when it seems like you're not answering us for whatever reason. And God, we do pray that you would use our obedience to draw others to you, that people who do not know you and do not know your goodness and do not know that you, you alone are life, you alone are truth, you alone are beauty, Lord, you alone are good, that they be drawn into a relationship with you. And we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen.